Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and sports writer for LSJ. Joining me this week, as always, the two guys vying for the Michigan State hockey head coaching job. It's Lansing State Journal sports columnist Graham Couch and Detroit Free Press Michigan State beat writer Chris Solari. Chris, how are you doing on this beautiful Wednesday morning? Well, that does beg a question of what Graham's hockey coaching record is. Mine's 1-0. Yeah, I don't, I don't think mine's very good. But I, I do know, actually, I coached like a media game once when Anastas was there. Yeah, and I, I was did as well. I want to know. Yeah, I was smart enough not to play myself very much. So, I, I Oh, you know. you're talking about the actual playing of the game? Oh, well, that's a whole other story. <laughs> you were much better than, you were much better than me at, at actually playing the game because that was, I was on ice skates twice i believe in my life and both times we're trying to play hockey at the media game but the coaching aspect of it i did much better work in the uh stopwatch on shifts i didn't know either one of you two could actually ice skate so this is all this is all news to me hey neither did i you had to try it i mean i fell down a lot there's video out there <laughs> how about you graham how would you, how would you rate your ice skating skills I can't stop, but I'm good. You know, like that's the beauty if you go round and round in a rink is that you, you just keep going. And there are bo- if you really need to stop, you just slam into the boards. I've never really understood how to how to how to stop. But otherwise I'm decent. Well there was a hockey player by the name of Luis Mendoza who uh could not uh stop on the ice, but he was still named to the US national team in the Mighty Ducks two movie. So uh anything is possible for anybody out there. There you go. Yes. Thank you, Hollywood. <laughs> All right. Well, as I said at the end of last week's Spartan Speak episode, we were going to do a listener question based episode this week, mostly or all but one question entirely focusing on Michigan State's upcoming spring game on Saturday. And we thought we'd kind of use that as our entryway into talking about the spring game and what we expect to see, what we may or may not see in the future, who's going to play, who's not going to play, you know, all that good stuff. So uh, I say let's just get right into the questions. All right. The first one comes from Smokescreen88. He says, which, or he asked, I should say, which incoming freshman will have the biggest impact on the season? Chris. Well, I know we're going to touch on this a little bit later, but I think to me there's two that come to mind most. Um, one will be Jeremy Bernard, but more importantly, that's a deep position. I think more importantly it's going to be Jack Stone, the kicker, because this is the position of need right now with Matt Coggle's graduation. And ultimately, I mean, you're talking about someone who's, if the offense produces like it did last year um, and is able to put points on the board is going to be required and move the ball uh, is going to be required to not only go for point afters, but potentially without a Kenneth Walker kick more field goals than Coughlin did last year. That's probably the best one. I mean, you look at, you know, cause I, I think what happens now too is, you know, where else are you going to see a true freshman play? 
right? And I, and I don't know that you're going to, I mean, in, in, in ideally in a, in a healthy program, you don't have a lot of them. I think you're more likely to see transfers playing meaningful, important minutes a lot of places, but um, there, there really shouldn't be many true freshmen, if any, making significant contributions. Well, I mean, you could maybe say at tight end, um, just because their their numbers are down there. But I still think that you know bringing in the the kid from Illinois and bringing in or having Malik Carr there um, as well. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I just don't see like yeah. With that, yeah, I don't I don't see it either. I mean, that, but that's the one position I think where maybe you could possibly see it. I'm you know unless one of those cornerbacks maybe jumps out. If Chase Carter maybe jumps out as a pass rusher, um, Antonio Gates, when he gets there as well, I think is, is going to be an impact guy. Um, but you know, with the numbers low on the offensive line, that's generally not where you see an impact guy come in, uh, and, and start off right away. Larry Lyons asks, what's the story with Quiveris Crouch? Haven't heard his name and the media don't talk about him. Is there anything, uh, any inside information on him, guys, or is this just, uh, just nothing's really come up about him? I mean, mostly what I've heard is that there's been, you know, there's a recovery from an injury. Um, but as we've learned over years, sometimes that can be a smokescreen too. There really hasn't been any discussion about Crouch, uh, particularly with the linebackers who have come in um, in Aaron Brule and and uh, Jacoby Windman. Those two guys. Uh, have been the ones discussed. Crouch really, coaches have not mentioned him at all. To that, to that though, I, I, we really haven't talked. Um, I don't believe we've talked with the linebackers coach yet, and I think we get, well, it was Rossell. They've moved some positions around now. I guess we did talk with uh, Scott. Have we talked to Scotty Hazelton yet? I don't think we've talked to Scotty Hazelton yet. I would imagine yeah, that's Hazleton. possibly going to happen on Thursday. Yeah, it was Hazelton at the very beginning. I can't even remember anymore. Well, they changed positions. Rossell's moves strictly to special teams now, and Hazelton moved back to the linebackers to to do that as they've shifted the roles with the pass rush specialists and everything else. Um, you know, I I, I think it's going to be, you know, I don't I I would think we might get uh, Scotty Hazelton uh, going into the spring game on Thursday, uh, but no, there hasn't been any discussion of Quiveras Crouch at all. A bizarre for a guy who I believe started most, if not every game, last season. Well, to be fair, there hasn't been any discussion about Cal Halliday either. That's true. So, <laughs> although I saw Cal, although I did see Cal Halliday coming out of practice the other day, so it's not you know that doesn't necessarily mean much. I mean, it, as we know, it's spring practice. Um, things are can change and and morph quite a bit, um, you know. But I do think you know if, if people are speculating, will Carreras Crops leave the program? I mean, remember you only get one free transfer. You only get one transfer where you can play right away. If you do it a second time, you got to sit out of here. No crouch, no holiday. The conspiracy widens. Uh, let's stay with linebackers here. As Carl asks, linebacker seems to have flipped from one of the thinnest positions to one of the deepest, which is something you guys sort of touched upon a second ago. Do you, guys, do you expect guys to entrench themselves, or do you think they'll be doing constant rotating like the defensive tackles? Um, I do think you'll see more rotating because – I think you've got more depth and talent there. Um, I, you know, my, my sense is a guy like Cal Halliday is going to find his way onto the field more often than not. But, I, you know, I, I think what's going to get very interesting, I, I still think, at linebacker is if, you know, if you're, well, are you truly just playing two guys? Are you doing more 
different sort of pass rush stuff with other guys. So how many of them are really seeing the field? But I, I mean, I, my guess is you, there's a lot more. Um, the real question is, is, is there separation between the two that keep the, or between them that keeps them from rotating? I mean, last year, what happened was they, they were a very different team with Cal Halliday on the field. And if that changes and, and the other guys raise their level, be it through development or transfers, then I think you'll see more rotation. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I don't know how deep I would call the position right now. It's deeper. I, deeper, I think that's, right. you know, I think he's, I mean, you, you saw predominantly, you know, Crouch and, and Halliday early in the year, and Crouch got hurt, you know, around that Ohio State game. It was more Noah Harvey. Um, but you didn't really see much beyond that. I mean, you know, you had Mao now Teote go into the portal and then pull his name out. Uh, so, you know, that's a, a weird situation. Um, and Ben Van Summeren, early in camp or early in spring practice, was one name that was mentioned and making some plays. But he's also in the portal, so I don't know where that'll end up. You know, a, a guy like Octavian Brown is another guy. He's listed as a linebacker, but he's been a, a D end, uh, you know, more of a pass rush specialist uh, in the limited time that he got last year. So, you know, there's not. I, I wouldn't call it a deep position. I mean, it's it's nowhere near where they are at a receiver right now, for example. And I don't think anywhere near where they're at in the defensive. And now the defensive backfield, I think got a lot deeper. Um, and, and there's going to be some pushes for playing time there, but I think that, you know, look at it right now, they got about four or five guys uh, that, that could see playing time in a rotation. And when you only run at two linebackers, I think you do have to have that. All right. Preston Santello asks, are there any more potential transfers to keep an eye out for before the May 1st deadline? If so, who? Well, you know, I don't think in terms of guys leaving or coming in, I, I mean, I, I do think I believe that's coming there in. is a chance they'll, they'll add somebody, um, and you know, maybe an offensive lineman or something like that. Uh, you know, and I also think there'll be guys that leave for sure. I put the over under at four and a half uh, coming out of the spring. Like, I, I just... I just think when you look at the new world, like it's May 1st is the deadline for those guys to get in the portal. And I think at the end of the spring, there'll be lots of guys who reassess where they are and, and, and what their situations are. And that's just going to be pretty normal. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I've said this before and, and, you know, I've been on the record a couple times saying this, that nothing has changed with how many guys sometimes are leaving. I think there is an uptick to a certain extent, but, it's the timing element of it that's changed a little bit. Cause usually you would see a, a rush of guys leaving after spring practice and, a, and sometimes a rush of guys leaving in December to get to their next school and, and try and get, get into playbook. Um, you know, immediate eligibility does change it. I think more than the portal. Um, you know, there's a couple, I think offensive linemen from Georgia that recently went into the portal. Um, Mel Tucker has ties there. So I think those are guys to, to keep, uh, maybe keep an eye on. I don't know how realistic it is. And I'm not exactly sure where the numbers are right now for how many more incoming transfers they can take. Um, just simply because as you mentioned, there's, there's a, a, a sliding scale here when you have guys that are leaving. So it's hard to, to really gauge that, I, but you're right. I think that, you know, by June 1st at the latest, uh, we should know a better idea of where that roster is. I don't think it's going to be a situation like Mel Tucker said last year where guys will be coming in all the way up until camp. I don't know if it's going to be feasible. 
All right, let's switch topics to probably the most uh, oft-asked question, uh, regard, and that's regarding the offensive line. Rick Darnell asks, if the O-line ends up being the weakest link as others are worried about, what does that say about Coach Kapilovic? Touted by Mel as an O-line genius and master talent developer and going into third year, we can't count on sixth-year D'Antonio recruited seniors forever. Matt Carrick, I think, will be really Matt Carrick and Nick Samak. Um, you know, the number of guys that they're going to have who have experience back uh, are limited. I mean, they brought in Brian Green kid from Washington State. Uh, he's not there yet. And the, 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 this reason that, that Michigan State's not actually having a spring game is because a bunch of guys are either hurt or recovering from surgeries like Carrick. Um, you know, and that's going to be, from what I've gathered, um, it, it's been rough going that they had to basically re-script their entire practices because they moved two defensive linemen over. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, Kapilovich talked about that, uh, you know, when we talked with him. So basically they got five normal offensive linemen. I think they were at seven offensive linemen, and they had to change their practice structure considerably throughout the spring to keep those five guys not just healthy, but keep them fresh. So, uh, you know, that it it always was going to be the biggest concern coming into this year because you lost so many veteran guys with so much experience. I mean, you, you know, you can, you can, those guys were somewhat maligned throughout their career, but there's something to be said about having those guys in, in 2021 that played in 2017 and 2018. I mean, they got a lot of snaps. Uh, this group outside of maybe JD Duplain and, and Samak, uh, you know, and, and Carrick, when he gets healthy, um, they really don't have that many guys that have high, that high-level experience. Yeah, I mean, Horst has some of it, too, but... You, well, you know, I mean, how much? I mean, he's got eight games of Big Ten experience. Yeah, you know, but... He, but, but he, yeah, he played right. a lower division, so, do, I mean, he looked the part in those eight games, but what about the the MIA in those last five, right? No, I mean, and, I'm with... Yeah, on the, being the big question, and you, you do lose ex- experience. And I think this is the lineup, you know, when you talk about a more traditional uh, building of a program, this is the area that you probably, it's hardest to circumvent through transfers or, or impact freshmen. And, you know, you, and it could, could ultimately slow down <laughs> the trajectory a little bit and, and make it more, uh, you know, what it used to be in trying to build a program because it just takes time. It, you know, I don't think you could judge an offensive line coach in this situation um, and a staff entirely, you know, until they've gotten their guys that they've recruited um, and and had, you know, ample time to develop in the program. And and that's really, I would say, year four to be to really start to be fair at that position. It's just it's such a it's such a different position than so many other things because, you know, I mean, you, you're just recruiting a different type of kid and a different type of athlete. And it, and it's also a fairly sophisticated position and it's a position where it truly is, you know, it's the trenches, right. And it's where the difference between an 18 and 22 year old matters. And it's not, that there aren't occasional kids that can handle it early, but you know, I mean, if you look around college football, the lines that are good, the teams that can run the football are almost always veteran older lines, even at the big time programs that, 
that, that have had sustained success. When, when they have a younger line, that's a struggle. And um, so that, that to me, as Chris said, that is the question of the year in a lot of ways because I look at the rest of the offense and I think, boy, there's a chance they could be really, really good. You know, you've got a veteran quarterback who's made some significant strides. Your top receiver came back. You've got a, 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 another. You've got other receivers who are either pretty proven or very intriguing. You know, I, I just think the problem could be, in it, and it was for times before late in the D'Antonio era, that offensive line can 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 limit you. And um, you know, there were years that I thought if they had a good offensive line late in the D'Antonio era, they had pretty decent talent elsewhere. Not. I think they have better talent now, maybe. But um, so, yeah, no, I, I think the line is the question. Well, I mean, you know, to put what the question asked, I mean, you, you lose our Curry, Matt Allen, and Luke Campbell, who played a lot of football, but also were six-year guys, like you said, that had that older build. I mean, the guys that, that Mel Tucker brought in, I mean, they're younger. I mean, they're, they're freshmen, they're redshirt freshmen. Um, you know, a couple sophomores, a guy like Dallas Fincher, one of the, you know, like Wigginton, Vandemark, uh, Brandon Baldwin, all those guys that came in last year. Um, one of the things that that uh, Mel Tucker and Chris Kapilovich and Jay Johnson have all talked about is with those low numbers, those younger players are getting those snaps because there's nobody else to do it. I mean, it's a lot like, you know, it was a good transition from the linebacker because, you know, both the linebacker and the secondary last year in the spring game, uh, which was the extended practice, they were super thin. They were incredibly thin at, at both of those spots last year, and that was a reason why they had to change the format to a practice. So now you're seeing it on the other side of the ball in the trenches. So I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, you know, I asked uh, Cap if they were going to maybe move a guy like Maverick Hansen. You know, when you've got a position of depth, I mean, they they could go six to eight deep at defensive tackle right now, you know. But Maverick Hansen is in the top four group. He he was recruited to Central Michigan as an offensive lineman. Uh, you know, was a late flip to Michigan State, and they moved him to D line. He could he's a guy that could play on that other side if they need to, but they haven't moved, made that move yet. So, um, you know, so there are a couple other options if they want to do it. But I, I think that you know, to me. Um, you know, this is, this is critical because I, I, as much as Kenneth Walker did last year with his own vision, there were those, there were those little creases that the offensive line made um, at the right time, like in the Michigan game that sprung him, that allowed him to do that. And when you've got new running backs that, you know, whether it be Berger or Broussard or Collins, or, you know, one guy whose name we haven't heard at all. I don't know if I've heard Jordan Simmons' name mentioned at all this spring. Um, we've heard Davy and Prim more than Jordan Simmons, but you know, if you're if you're going to try and spring those guys and they don't necessarily have the game reps that Walker had, um, you know, it's going to be up to that offensive line. So it, those got they got to be able to work in cohesion together. I don't know. I mean, it's you know, when you don't have that those reps this spring, I mean, that's going to make the summer and fall even more of a a pressing point to to instill that that rhythm in the run game. Yeah, I will say that you know they had a they had a hand couple three star offensive linemen in this class. I think that it seems like they're pretty high on a couple of those guys. Like Gavin Brocious is a guy that kind of comes to mind here. But again, he's a three star guy. You never know how those offensive line are going linemen are going to 
you know, adjust right away to the college level. So we'll see what happens. But just basically, I'm just kind of saying you need, you can't judge Kapilovich in his third year. You got to give another year or two to get quote unquote, like you said, their guys in and and see what happens. Yeah, and I mean those recruits that you're talking about, um, you know, not just this class coming in, but last year's class. I mean, there's an emphasis. You can tell that there's an emphasis in recruiting to a certain size, a certain arm length and a certain build that looks like they could, they, they have the frame and, and weight already established when they get here, rather than projecting out and, and getting someone who may be a tight end and try and add weight to them, which may or may not happen. Like they got the, the big dually kid, Christian Phillips uh, from Georgia. He's six six three forty, coming in, you know, I, I'd, I'd imagine they want him to slim down a little bit, even with that, but well, you know, when you've got that size, that you're still gonna, there's still strength factor too coming into college to well, play on the offensive line right away. Keep in mind, also, this is truly year two for Tucker in recruiting. Like yes. that February hire, that you know, you, you got to think of this whole thing differently. People say, well, you know, and he, he'll joke, well, you know, this isn't like we used to talk last year about the idea was this really year kind of year one, and the other year was year zero, and he say, no, that was year one. Well, it, maybe it was on the field a little bit during that COVID year, but he didn't get a single, you know, that was not his recruiting class. And so this is truly year two in that. So when you're talking about his guys year four, you need to think about this probably as year two. Alan Perlstein asks, right now, if you ranked the Spartans' position on units by talent and depth, where would you place the O-line? At the bottom, really, right? I mean, it's not that – and I don't know about talent because I don't know what the young guys look like. Um, but – you know, just, I mean, I don't know that there's another, you know, if you could say the defensive end position is, is probably the least other least inspiring position, at least that they have in terms of proven dudes. I mean, that, ultimately when I look at this team and the reason I think that they're still not there, so to speak, is that I don't think their offensive line will be there. And I don't think they have an edge guy yet that people fear. And those are two things that great, teams have and you can have a lot of other stuff but without that you're you're you're, you're kind of manufacturing a lot of things all year long we saw little flashes last year from petrosky and brandon wright in the bowl game in particular uh bogle obviously had some depth but i i totally agree with you i mean it's you know i i think you know by far i mean because i think this is you know without asking the question i think the question that really is to be asked how would you rank them i mean i, I think that the receivers are number one. I think you've got tons of depth there and tons of guys that are, you know, potentially next level guys. Um, I would think safety is probably number two, although the, the safety numbers behind gross and Henderson are young. I mean, that's, you know, I think you, you know, the, I think Darius snow has really emerged as well. Um, you know, and him and gross playing that nickel spot, I'd say the third position i would say right now is probably running back because you do have three guys coming into the fall camp who have all started four guys really if you count jordan simmons but collins broussard and Berger have all started at their schools at one point or another and you know cornerback has gotten better with the addition of yep. amir speed and i was really impressed with what marquis lowry did uh, when he was healthy last year, and Chuck Brantley talked to him. Hey, Chuck Brantley coming back, I think, is going to be big. I think that could be the biggest jump. I think corner yeah. could be the biggest jump we see or noticeable on the field, just because I think their depth is a lot better. 
you know, I think some guys will improve. But I think just – I mean, they were so limited there in depth that once they got banged up last year, like I think they'll be able to withstand that. So, in other words, I think what they look like at corner in September will be – and November might be the same thing. Whereas last year by November, they were just a shell of what they, you know, and, and they weren't that great, uh, you know, to begin with. So, yeah. Um, and I think some of the, some of the young guys that they brought in at cornerback, like Caleb Coley and aid Willie, they, they like both of those freshmen who have enrolled early, but I mean, getting Brantley back from injury and getting Lowry a full year, of Lowry healthy and same with Ronald Williams, uh, you know, coupled with speed, I mean, you're seeing them getting, you're seeing the growth literally of, of longer guys, taller guys, you know, guys that, that aren't going to get pushed off the, off the line of scrimmage by a receiver as much, um, you know, when, when you try and press up on them. So I think that's there, but I mean, you know, tight end is an issue um, in terms of, you know, we saw glimpses of what Malik Carr can do, but you know, it is, is he going to be able to replicate what Connor Hayward did in his Renaissance season? You know, I mean, that's, you know, that is Barker going to be able to do that. You know, there's unknowns at some of these other positions, including quarterback behind Peyton Thorne. You know, how many years do you see a, a, a team go through a full season with basically one guy taking almost every snap other than garbage time? You really don't. And, you know, three guys behind him, none of them have taken a college snap. So that should be a concern. Um, but you know, Thorne has also uh, proven himself at a, at a pretty high level. And then, you know, you, you keep working your way down there and, you know, offensive line still just ends up on the bottom. Or you guys kind of touched upon this when you were, uh, talking about the positional units, but, uh, I will mention these questions, uh, from David Zandi. He asked the defense can't be that bad again, right? No, seriously, they're putting a system in place that will do more than bend and break. And then Adam Paul Matier asks, "What steps have been put in place to improve the defense? Which players will make a defense? Which players will make a difference on defense?" I know you guys mentioned a couple names there. I don't know if there's anything else you guys want to add regarding uh, Michigan State's 2022 defense. I mean, I do think that last year they did what was best for the team for a long time. Like I, I still think the Miami game plan was outstanding. And I know they, they said that they didn't do Ben, but don't break, but that, they essentially played soft coverage on the corners. Cause that's what they thought they could do. And they, and Harlan Barnett was pretty blunt this year saying, you know, they'll, they'll do what they're a lot, what they're able to do. Right. If that's, if that's what the personnel allows for that, you'll see that again, they're hoping not to be in that, that situation. Um, and so I thought they, they managed, you know, things obviously fell apart at Ohio state, right? There were a couple moments where things got, pretty bleak but I I I think overall and, and you saw it again in the bowl game you saw a team show some teeth again on, on defense and that granted it was against the the 12th string quarterback from Pitt by the end of that game but I think last year was an, sort of a year that was interesting because you have a defensive-minded staff that sort of had to check its ego at the door to win you know they didn't have the pure pass rushers they didn't have the the corners who could play press coverage uh, they had some limitations at linebacker, some limitations here and there at safety. They had to kind of get by, and and you get humbled when you get by on defense. I, I think they do have better depth. I think they probably have a little better high end talent. I don't know if there's, you know, again the edge rusher like depth at defensive end is sort of an oxymoron. Like there's no such thing because there are very few guys who can really rush the edge, and if you can do that, you're starting. So, but they're they're. They're stepped a lot of places in, in, in a quality of depth that I think has probably improved. 
Well, I, sh- I should point out um, there were a couple things that coming out of uh, a little bit of the availability at the uh, disabled uh, football camp that or the camp that they had for people with disabilities, I should say. On Tuesday, uh, Ronald Williams has a cast on his arm, um, so I don't anticipate seeing him. Uh, talk with Chuck Brantley. He recently has been cleared uh, for full practice, but so but he, I, he doesn't anticipate being available for uh, Saturday's open practice as well. So that's not a that is also not a good way to start off the year at corner. Um, but you'd rather have that stuff handled and taken care of in March and April than get into July and then have to deal with it and then coming into the spring or going into preseason camp you know, having guys bang up. So that's the, the thought is to get them fully healthy. Brantley was battling a shoulder all last year. Um, you know, and ultimately that I think it, from what I had understood, it popped out at, at Purdue and that was pretty much the end of his season uh, after playing a, a big role in the Michigan game. Um, in terms of different things, I mean, we have not really seen much from what they've been doing. Um, and I wouldn't anticipate them showing much right now anyways. You know, I think a lot of what they've been doing at this point has been more about technique um, and and trying to translate that into just some different things in terms of the pass rush with bringing in Brandon Jordan. And, you know, he, he's been working not just with the, the defensive ends, but also with the linebackers and dropping some guys down, um, moving some guys around in that respect. So, um, you know, that's going to, I think, be a work in progress throughout Ball camp as well. Um, you know, I, I, I'm curious to see who emerges from that and if they go out and try and find someone else if they haven't been satisfied. But by all accounts, it sounds like they, at least talking to Brandon Jordan and, and Marco Coleman, the new defensive line coach, they're, they're pretty happy with the guys that they got. They just want to get them more reps and experience. All right. One of our uh, former coworkers, Sean Marion, uh, slid into my DMs to ask this question. Who do you think fills the starting wide receiver spot left by Jalen Naylor's departure to the NFL? Seems Keon Coleman is the popular pick, but are you hearing the same? Do you see a freshman like Bernard or Gates playing this season, given the lack of proven depth behind Reed and Mosley? Well, Montori Foster is the returning starter there. Remember, when when, uh, Jalen Naylor was hurt last year with his hand, Foster stepped in. He made some really nice catches and really nice plays, so... You know, I think, though, I think it's going to be a real battle between Foster, Coleman, and Jeremy Bernard. Um, just because I think when you look at Mosley and Reed, will probably be on the outside. I don't know if it put, you know, you could move Reed into the slot, but I think, you you know, right now at this point in his career, he's an outside guy. And you know, who's going to make plays over the middle, I think, is kind of the one thing that, that it is what's to watch. So uh, I think you need a guy with, with some good speed and like Naylor had. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, to me, I would think right now, um, you know, I know all three of those guys are there. I still think Foster right now has the edge. I don't know I, that. I think that will be a fluid situation though, throughout the course of the season. And it could be Coleman or Bernard who overtakes that spot by mid season. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's an interesting thing because and I do think the young receivers have it, the perfect situation too. Because they're not the focal points, and so while in, in, yeah. in some regards you might have some frustration from a young guy not getting to, you know, as many catches or whatever as, as you'd like, 
there is a tremendous advantage to having Jaden Reed out there and to have Mosley out there, guys who have proven it. And when and it just allows your talent to work on on matchups that will be favorable for you. And especially when, when everybody understands who Jaden Reed is from a talent perspective and player, like there's not going to be envy there. There's not going to be like, wait a second, why is he getting like, that's Jaden freaking Reed, you know, like that's, that's your guy. Yeah. And that's an NFL receiver. And, I, and I, I'm curious to see with, with Reed too, like, you know, what, you know, can he really, really take the next step? But what's, what I found interesting is he, he clearly got feedback from the NFL folks that helped determine his decision to return. And I, don't get me wrong, the fact that they have a veteran quarterback that, that he likes playing with that helps you, you know, if you don't if you don't have the quarterback, there's no point in coming back, right? Um, but, I, you yeah. know, I, I covered a guy, here's your drink of a Kalamazoo reference uh, coming up here. I covered a guy my first year ever covering college football full-time in Greg Jennings. I covered his final oh, season. There's- Two shots, two shots with the Greg Jennings as well. Yeah, yeah. So, but there was a guy who was an exceptional player as a junior, but didn't, you know, was on NFL radars, but really became as a senior a, a, a surefire NFL prospect, a second round pick, a guy who had a Pro Bowl career for a while, the Packers. And he went, led the nation in receiving, never saw him drop a pass, only ran a 4 5 40, but never saw anybody catch him. Like he, he became a, a dominant receiver didn't matter who he was matched up again. And, and I'm, you know, we see flashes of that from Jaden Reed. We see him make some of these great, you know, catches in, in traffic or up above people, but can he truly take over some games? And I, and I think there's another level to him uh, and, and, and sort of dominating the, the college level. And if he can get there, um, it'll, it'll, it'll even elevate the way that the program the pro game season. Yeah. I mean, I do, I think they're, I mean, they're losing 72 catches between Naylor and, and Connor Hayward. I think a lot, you know, some of those balls are going to go to Malik Carr. I mean, you know, but remember last year, Keon Coleman came in with so much hype and so much buildup, get seven catches. Malik Carr had eight catches, you know, as a transfer. And most of that production between the two of them came at the end of the year. Um, you know, it's going to be deeper. It's a deeper room now at receiver, but I also wouldn't, you know, some of those balls are going to probably go the other way towards Carr and, and maybe hunt a little bit more. He had four, 14 catches last year. Um, you know, Barker comes in and he's a proven pass catcher. So, you know, it, it, it there may not be as many balls for those freshmen, but you know, I, I I know that that both Bernard and Gates, in terms of the freshmen that are coming in, uh, are are very polished talents. They run great routes. They have good separation. Um, you know, they're technicians, um, and they've got some speed. So, you know, it's hard to keep that off the field. I think this was a great segue uh, from what Chris just said. Tim W. asked, "Who has more catches this year, Keon Coleman or Malik Carr?" Uh, it's almost like I read that question yeah, at some no, point. Right. <laughs> you know, I I think because of the depth at receiver, I think it's going to be Malik Carr. I think I think honestly, you look at the production that Connor Hayward had last year, he had 30, 35 catches. Um, I, I think that goes to Malik Carr, and I think he can extend. You know, I mean, Hayward had uh, he averaged nine point three yards per catch, and to me, Carr is a lot more of a downfield threat. You know, you can flank him out a lot more. 
Um, you can run him uh, on different routes that I think that are are more in his strength than maybe were the routes that were in, in Hayward's strength. Uh, and it's a position of need. And, you know, Barker comes in, I think, gives him some experience in the red zone. Uh, Hunt is a guy that's got sure hands, but Carr's the talent at that position. Carr's the guy that you look at and you say, this dude can be in the NFL soon. Um, and I think you know, he, he averaged a little over, let's see, what? He, he, he had eight catches, but he averaged almost 17 yards a catch. That tells you something right there. All right, uh, Kerry Grimm has two questions. First one, is Jack Stone the leader in the clubhouse to be the kicker for the next four years? And what player other than Harold Joyner could be our next Connor Hayward? At kicker, you know, you only have one scholarship guy usually at a time. So, I mean, that's that's the goal. That's the hope. The um, But it, it, in terms of – I think Joyner is an interesting candidate to be a hybrid type guy. Um, I do also, though, think the need is less for some of the things that – you got out of Connor Hayward last year. I think they're going to be better with the traditional tight end position than they've been. Malik Carr, obviously more experienced. You get the, the transfer from Illinois, Tyler Hunt's back like that. I, I just think, you know, you're not that, that was a really unique need and fit and a player who was built for that. And I'm not saying there aren't lots of good ways to use Joiner. I think he has some talent. I don't think you'll see it is a, you know, him as much as a traditional running back. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what his, um, you know, what his role is moving forward in terms of other guys in that role. Again, I don't know, you know, we'll see how, how the running back situation shakes out. Um, but I, I don't see, I mean, again, it, it's, I think tight end all of a sudden could become a position of real strength and, and something that they in certain ways had, but in other ways didn't, and, and, and in ways they didn't have last year, which which could help the offense, especially if this line is is sort of slow to develop. I think the one I kind of agree with you on on what you said about Joiner, and I do think that you know you watched him a little bit in the the Peach Bowl, and he got a couple carries. They used him in some in some screen work, um, so there is you you can see why there would be a comparison to to Hayward, but he's also significantly bigger than Hayward by about four inches um, and uh, uh, to me a better running threat in that he can he, he seems like he's got a better vision field and ability to turn the corner um, as far as Stone I wouldn't say that he's going to be the guy for four years I would say he's going to be the guy this year um, the transfer portal changes things um, you don't know exactly what you're going to see from the kids so that's something to keep in mind because, I mean, we've seen kickers come in before who've been hyped that don't live up to the hype. So, I, I, you know, I think that's something to, to keep in mind. But I think the job coming into this fall for sure is his because it, it, it's right now, I think, Stephen Rusnak, the walk-on, is, is uh, the, the kicker that they've got at, at this point. And I think they've got another another – Walk on uh, in freshman and Jarrett Reeser on the roster. So those are the two kickers they've got this spring. Um, you know, I know they talked a little bit about Mel Tucker talked about it on Monday that the guys are getting some good spring, uh, good swings at the ball right now. But but that job is Jack Stones unless they somehow go in and get someone else in the transfer portal. All right, Zach Brooks asks. I this is a couple questions regarding your call your spring game column, Graham. 
I appreciate Graham's column, but what can the program do to encourage fans to go to a boring cult event other than, quote-unquote, you should because Bama and OSU draw crowds? Dome Stadium. Awesome. I think there are a couple things. One is you, you, you want to create as much of an event as possible, right? So it's not just coming to the spring game. It's whether you allow people to tailgate, whether you try to create some other meet and greet or whatever you try and do over time. There are lots of things you can do to make it more of a an experience. But I will also say this. Most of what fans do with MSU football is, is at great pleasure to them. Going to a MSU football Saturday is something people choose to do because they love doing it, right? They, they choose to tailgate. They choose to, it's something they look forward to and they enjoy. This is more of a task. <laughs> this is more of an ask from Mel Tucker in certain ways. Like this is, this is part of the deal. Like, yeah, there's some intrigue and, and you know, and, and there's some things you may see and it may be a good time, maybe a little chilly and maybe something you'd skip if all things were equal. But this is what Mel Tucker is sort of saying is, Part of your role in the program is to, on this particular day, you know, show up and, 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 and show support because it makes a difference. And we all do things in life that aren't as fun as other things. And that's sort of that's sort of what it is. It's, it's you being asked. And frankly, nobody should do what they don't want to do. I just think that if, if you're going to hold a program to account in terms of its recruiting classes, and the head coach who cares about everything tells you this matters, everything matters, that you need to understand that. And if they don't have as many four stars as you like and you stay at home, then okay, just but maybe don't complain about it. The the other thing is if I was the big if I was the Big Ten and I was schools and I was worried about this affecting recruiting in the North, I would not allow the Big Ten to show games live, the Big Ten network. I would have all those spring games. Uh, show, replayed so people could see them. But if you want it live, it wouldn't be until the next day or something. There's just no need to have them live. That doesn't help people. I'll tell you what I would do. Okay, now I'm going to put on my my Hall School of Marketing caps here. Um, if In 2024, I would absolutely move the MSU spring game inside the Ford field at Detroit the Sunday after the draft finishes. That's what I would do. If you want to try and get 90,000 people, that's your best option to do that because the weather in mid Michigan at this time of the year is super unpredictable in early April. Um, you know, end of April, I don't know if, I mean, I don't know where the academic calendar is for that year, but if it's possible and it's feasible, I think that's something that, that would be a great thing for 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 Mel Tucker to to showcase the program. Uh you take it to a different place, you make it like a road game. He's talked about wanting to give it uh an environment where it's more game like. You take what's more game like than taking it to a different stadium, particularly on the NFL level, particularly if it's right where the draft's happening. So uh, showcase it it makes it a showcase event for a lot of things. Um it is a difficult ask. I mean, it's, you know, you're right about that. I mean, you wrote about it. We've written about it for years about Mark Antonio trying to get 50,000 at, at the spring game, the one year. And I don't know. I think they maybe fell short or right in that ballpark. Um, but that was on coming off the, the best success that they've had. And it was a good day. I believe that day as well. So, you know, it, it's going to fluctuate, but you know, at the same point, Ohio state can do it. Right. 
I mean, you know, mission. So it is changed though. Like one thing I'm real happy about is that that stupid craze that we had for like like 2013 to 16, where people were like measuring themselves by their spring game crowds is over. Like Georgia has 40,000 fewer people in 2019 than they had at the game Tucker's talking about. Like people realized at some point, this is a ridiculous measuring contest. Like this is a spring game crowd. Like who the hell really cares? And, and so you don't see it as much, which I think is good um, and, and, and healthier, um, you know, but, but you're right. There are cultural differences. I mean, it is Easter weekend. People might be traveling. Um, it's cold up here. Spring football has never been a part of the culture. I, I didn't know a single person growing up in Lansing, Michigan, who'd ever been to a spring football game until I was an adult. And maybe we just didn't talk about it, but it was never part of the conversation. It just wasn't a thing. It's spring football. Who the hell cares? It's, it's the NBA playoffs. It's, it's baseball. It's spring football. It's, it, do your scrimmage, whatever. That's not really a thing you pay for. And then it became a thing. And it's a thing down south. And if you're trying to compete against those schools, uh, that's that's where it can matter. And and so, I think if, if you know if you are you know deal, uh, dealing with small comparisons in that way, then uh, you know it's 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 worth if you're a fan, you know, getting out there for a couple hours. I think if, if that stuff matters to you. Yeah, I will note that uh, here on uh, Wednesday afternoon it is currently 69 degrees, but Saturday it is slated to be 42. So. It, and a 62% chance of precipitation. So uh, that's mid Michigan for you. Yep. Classic. I mean, a 20, a 20 degree swing in two days. Yeah. Three days. And you could put it a weekend later. There's one more weekend's all you got between the draft. Um, you could avoid Easter weekend, which, you know, you could argue for better or worse. Some people travel to here. Some people travel away from here. I haven't had something to do on a Saturday. Um, and, and frankly, that's not there. I mean, I don't know what the heck Easter is doing anyway on this weekend. Like the Masters was last weekend, and I know the biblical calendar moves, but Christmas doesn't move. It's not like Easter was the exact day Jesus rose from the dead, just like Christmas wasn't when he was born. Like, can we just pick a day, have it be Easter, have it be the Masters, and get it to? I mean, this, the, the idea that this is Easter anyway—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's halfway to May—is is a little absurd. One of these days, we're going to have Brendan Quinn on to explain to you the theological reasoning behind all of this yeah I, I mean i grew up in the episcopal church I, I i get it i just don't it's like there's just there's a lot of the stuff there's no actual rhyme or reason for ah <laughs> uh, this went off the rails <laughs> <laughs> steve beckman asks, oh will the fan turnout at saturday's spring game have any impact on graham's opinion about msu being a football school versus a basketball school and if msu were to sell alcohol inside spartan stadium during the spring game would that have any impact on attendance yeah, it would send me down into the stands instead of up in the press box. I would I would say it, it won't because I don't think that that's really ever been – like, you know, Michigan State basketball held an open scrimmage this year that was open to the fans, and that was a fairly limited crowd. This crowd will be bigger than that, you know. So, like, I, I don't know that that's ever been the way, uh, you know. But, again – if, if Michigan State wants to be a football school relative to the schools that it would like Mel Tucker to bring its program to compete with, that, you know, I, that's all I'm saying to keep in mind. I'm not going to tell people what to do. If, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be going to this spring game if I wasn't covering it. I, I don't have all that much interest in a 
in, in spring football never really have. Um, but you know, I, I, I think if, if, if I was, if my hope and dreams as a fan were built on Michigan state football, going to places and sustaining greatness and the coach who you hoped to get it there said something mattered, I would take that into account. I would argue that last year and this year is a little bit better than a traditional spring game because you do get to see how the team is working and how they're working in drills and who is in the pecking order. When you split up a team for a spring scrimmage and you know, you've seen it over the years with, with Mark D'Antonio, sometimes it was ones versus twos based on numbers. Sometimes it was a totally split squad. So you have, different guys playing next to each other on the offensive line and blocking. So you, it, that turns out to sometimes be a mess. I think to me, the, the, my favorite spring game memory um, is always the, the last play of the, I think it was the 2013 spring game where there was a quarterback competition coming out of the, the bowl game and Connor cook came back and won it. And then he got chased around at, at the end of the, Last spring game, I might be mixing that up. That might have been the 2012 spring game, either 2012 or 2013. But he went backwards and then around in circles. I mean, it was yakety. He was yakety saxing it up and and finally got dropped. Uh, but it didn't tell you anything about what was to come, right? Um, you know, it, 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 I, I like the spring practice format a little better because you do get a better gauge of where the pecking order is in certain spots and. Sometimes you can see some things with who's working with whom and drills and, and who they like next to each other uh, yeah. being compliments. And sometimes you can see that, you know, these offensive linemen work well together. Obviously we won't this year because of the numbers, but like the linebacker pairings, I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see how they like to pair up the, these linebackers that they got. Right. And, and the, 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 the format that I probably like the most in terms of learning, but it probably isn't the least, it, you know, coaches will have all these weird, uh, scoring systems when it's like offense versus oh. defense. And they're brutal for keeping track, but you do at least see ones versus ones, right? And and uh, the one thing I don't like about a traditional spring game is the offensive line. And you get, because guys who usually play against, you know, next to each other really have, you know, they're playing against other guys. You have no, no sense of things. And that affects a lot, and it makes it hard to get good reads on on a lot of things coming out of spring games. And that's the problem with the traditional spring game: is if as soon as you mix and match the offensive line, you might as well throw out half the evaluations in the game. Everything that's happening on the defensive line no longer matters because they're beating a line that won't be the line. The offensive line protection no longer matters if a running back's having trouble. No longer matters. Like <laughs> so much of what you want to evaluate it's just gone with the regular spring game where you split the offensive line. Yeah. And you really couldn't get a Like last spring, you couldn't get a good picture for how good MSU would be in the passing game because they basically had, I think three cornerbacks maybe, and you know, a number of walk-ons working there. So that I think, you know, there are limitations to it without question um, either format, but to me, I just I just like seeing the the little intricacies and nuances because that's something that a practice can give you that isn't there in a game format. All right, this question is definitely for Chris uh, from David Zandi. Uh, Led Zeppelin songs and food that should be added to the press box this fall. Go and also, who's got the best spread in the Big Ten? Oh, 
does anybody have spreads in the Big Ten anymore? I mean, there's this Ohio constant State. fallacy. Ohio State. Yeah, Ohio State's okay. I, and they got I, those little, I mean, they got those little McDonald's shake thingamajigs that are for dessert too. Yeah. You know, yeah, I don't, I don't touch those. That's that's you. That's all you. I'm not the dessert guy here. Uh, yeah. I'm the guy that if you if you if you find me the pretzels, I'm fine. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, you know, honestly, that I mean, that, Michigan's pretty good, I think, with food. I mean, it's it's haven't been to a lot of places, and it's been obviously with COVID, it's changed quite a bit as well. But I mean, even for the last twenty some years, it really, you know, they're 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 becoming fewer and farther between. Which whatever, I mean, it's you know, it's a you know fourteen sixteen hour workday sometimes for us. Um, you know, as long as there's something available that keeps you from passing out, I think that's good. Uh, what Led Zeppelin songs would I add? I mean, I celebrate the whole catalog. <laughs> so I do have, I do have this awesome video though, of, uh, both stairway to heaven and cashmere that when we went in 2020 to Penn state in a completely, the games, I think it was a halftime completely empty beaver stadium and it was like hearing a a led zeppelin concert with nobody else there that was pretty cool our very last question is from sparty homer who uh did not understand the assignment as the kids say and asked a basketball question but i figured what the hell we'll answer it anyway uh it seems that tom Izzo isn't seeking out a center or a strong rebuilding power forward out of the transfer portal Every day, decent new potential future contributors are entering the portal. Why doesn't Izzo go hard after portal opportunities as Tuck does? As Tuck does, he needs to adopt. I just, I, I just don't think we have a, a full sense of, of what you know, what what they're doing in that. And, and, and keep in mind, the portal is different than the, um, than regular recruiting in this sense. And a high school kid announces his top seventeen. The dumbass sixteen-year-old. Sorry, I shouldn't use that word on this then announces his top seven his top three he keeps you posted because he's a moron 16 year old the transfer who's 21 might be a lot more this might just happen you don't hear as much about i've narrowed it down to this or this these things are all happening they've been through this process you know so i just think that that's different here you have to keep that in mind there's a lot less chatter out there with most players you don't know who they're in on and, and and who they're in on quick a lot of stuff happens much more quietly than it does um and uh i project i, do, I project go that's going to change i project that's going to change because those kids who are dropping their top 17 11 6 4 twos are now going to be the ones that go into the transfer portal and it's just their norm i think that's going to change in the coming years the other thing about that too is the the window to transfer also is a little more condensed than it is for the full recruitment period too. My guess is they've had a lot of conversations about a lot of kids and with some kids that you're thinking of. And, you know, we're not privy to all of them, um, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, and what's going on, but I don't think just cause you're not hearing about it, what's going on, on in the transfer portal on a daily basis um, you know, these kids aren't at AAU tournaments. It's not like when you see Jeremy Fears Jr. out there playing and there's lots of comments about him and Izzo is, is their courtside and it's obvious, you know, or things like that when they're out watching kids because uh, these kids aren't 
there, there's no AAU circuit for them. This is this is stuff that usually happens pretty quickly. I think there's a little different competition too for the portal guys, which 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 means coaches sometimes don't want to tip their hand and want to find out more about these kids. Sometimes they haven't recruited them for three, four years like they have the high school kids, so they need to get to know them better before they even decide if they want them in there. Um, I, I I agree with you. I mean, listen, they went and got uh, Tyson Walker out of the portal last year. They went, they've got Joey Hauser out of the portal. Um, it, and Izzo's got transfers over the years with guys like Aaron Harris and Bryn Forbes and, you know, all the way back to Mike Chappelle. So this isn't, the difference is that you see what Mel Tucker's doing in the football realm. You've got, 85 scholarships to work with and a hundred roster spots. Tom Izzo has basically like 15 roster spots and 13 scholarships to deal with. Massive. You got to make sure the, the other thing is you got to make sure the kid you're bringing in is better. You know, Tucker's talked about this a lot. It's a quick evaluation. Does this kid really improve who we are? Is he the answer to what you need? You, you need, you need certain um, you know, you got to have a kid who, you know, you're, you're trying to upgrade or get something a little different than what Julius Marble is. Right. And so that, if that's what you're looking for, then that's, you know, I, I do think not knowing what Joey Hauser's going to do yet could have some effect on things a little bit, but, um, you know, it's something that's crazy as well. Yeah. And something that Izzo said, and I, and I would keep this in mind too, is that he prefers almost the kids who are making the move up from the mid-major level. And there, you know, there's some guys out there who, who are doing that and who are bigs just because they're, they're sort of, they're doing it, for, they're leaving for the right reason, so to speak, usually. They want to try their hand at a bigger level. They've sort of played their way out of the minor league, so to speak, whereas somebody who's leaving, you know, NC State or wherever for another high major is just sort of, you know what I mean? Like it's a, there's always a reason why somebody's leaving and sometimes you're not sure you want that kid. All right, uh, that's it for the questions. Uh, any final thoughts before uh, we sign off for this week? Well, Graham, I, my question to you is, um, since we don't necessarily have the traditional spring game format, um, I still kind of want to know going into this open practice on Saturday, who is going to be your Chris D. Rucker player of the spring? Right, the guy who just does something huge in the spring and then disappears. Um, or possibly just, disappears, yeah. possibly disappears. Yeah. But some, you, yeah. The, the guy who, the guy who you look at coming out of the spring and said, this is going to be a player, whether or not it happens in the fall is irrelevant. Yeah. No, I've, I've written a few of those columns too. Um, it's one of my strengths is really overhyping somebody who's not ready for it. Uh, the, uh, that's a good, that's a really good question. It's going to be, you know, what it could be, it could be one of these young receivers, because yeah. what happens at that position is things are simplified in the spring game. You're going against maybe a back up here or there. You get out, your athleticism takes hold. And it's like, my goodness, I guess Jaden Reed's not going to play this year. And, <laughs> you know, and then you, and then it's, it's Aaron Burbridge was the classic example of this, right? In one game at Indiana as a freshman, they sort of turned him loose and, and simplified things. And he had eight catches for 134 yards. And then his defenses through any sort of wrinkle at him, he was pretty much shut down most of the rest of the year. You know, I was like, oh, wait a second. That doesn't, doesn't just work. So I, I could see – I could absolutely see it happening 
uh, at receiver, uh, a place where there's some real talent, some young talent, but but perhaps uh, not, you know, some seasoning is still needed. I say I also call this the Tristan Jackson Award. You know, it was an interesting month, but you 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 weren't around for the Christie Rucker. I was not. No. Years, yeah. not there wasn't just one spring game. Ah. But Jackson was, was Jackson was good though. Jackson was a good one. He what did he have? Like eight catches in that spring game. Yeah, he he, he did get the Christie Rucker Award that year. I think, you know, I, and and I I probably agree with you. I I think Bernard has the biggest potential because, you know. You know, I think him and and Coleman will get their reps with Peyton Thorne, which I think will be you know pretty interesting. I I think I might go a little bit off the grid and say Michael Fletcher uh, because they need pass rushers because he's got the prototypical build and quite honestly, he needs a big spring. I, I think that he could be one of those guys that you watch and. See what the work with Brandon Jordan, because he, he's got that projectable frame that looks like he should be a dominant edge rusher. We'll see what the, the type of development is that he has against that depleted offensive line and some drills. And not every not every spring game breakout performance is fool's gold. I mean, the, the famously back before spring game crowds were a thing, uh, Plaxico Burris had like 13 catches. Yep. In a spring game, and 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 uh, would have been ninety ninety seven, uh, the spring of spring of ninety, yeah, spring of ninety eight, and that, you know, was the beginning of Plaxico Burris. So I mean, it, like, you know, it's it, it's still worth watching. It's still there are things that that happen that are absolutely real uh, in in a spring game. Do we want to spend uh, forty five minutes now on MSU hockey? It's a, it's that time, right? <laughs> I think we wait until next week after the spring game to kind of really delve into the hockey. Delve into everything. Yeah. Be, yeah. I think that's going to be, you know, moving forward, how how Alan Haller uh, moves into his first significant hire uh, well, as athletic it's, director. I it's think his, it's, I think that's going to be a big story. It's his third hire, he'll tell you. But <laughs> I'm talking about as the guy essentially in charge. I understand that he was there for – for Mark D'Antonio, I understand that he was there for Mel Tucker, but there's something different when you're in the big seat and not one of the people on the committee. The but we can get into that next week, I think. They would they would have hired Mark D'Antonio without him. They would not have gotten Mel Tucker without him. That's the difference. He hired he's he he is he is to Mel Tucker what Mark Hollis was to D'Antonio. Not yet the AD, but it's his guy. If that makes yeah. sense. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I, I think you're right though. I think it's I think a lot of people are interested in what's going to happen with this. Yeah, we'll spend some time next week on it maybe, and, I, and I'm curious on your perspective of it too because like it and even for Haller, this is different territory. Like in, in volleyball, when he made that hire, he he likes volleyball. His daughter played very high level volleyball. He's lived in that world a little bit. He kind of knew who to call and where to go and, and how to make that move. And 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 I, I don't think he's you know. I mean, it, the last month he spent trying to evaluate this hockey program. I don't think hockey is something, you know, he's grown up as much in, and this will be a world for him in which, um, you know, he's going to have to do a lot of listening and, and, and sort of evaluate based on what a lot of people tell him. It's a little, it's a little different move. No question. And, and, and but still a critical, critical hire. Absolutely agree with that. 
All right. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore Couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore Friend, and LSJ Greenwhite. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.